Happy Easter, everybody. You know, it says in the gospel, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, and we got four. So we're doing pretty good, I think, you know? we got to look on the bright side of things. Um, it is uh, the Easter season, starting yesterday, or maybe in, in a certain sense starting today. And we're going to go all the way to Pentecost. Something very interesting uh, notice our first reading. What part of the Bible is our first reading drawn from? Is it drawn from the Old Testament or the New Testament? Today I'm talking about. Well, is it drawn from the Old or New? The first reading, remember? We, the, from the New. We read out of the book of Acts. That's kind of interesting, huh? Normally we read from the Old Testament and then we go to the New Testament. So you got you got a balance of both uh, t- uh, Testaments normally. But for the Easter season, the first reading is from the New Testament and particularly it's from the book of Acts. So we're going to be going through Acts all throughout Easter until Pentecost. Uh, I think, you know, why do we do that? I, I'm not exactly sure, quite frankly. You know, I think there's probably a lot of reasons, and, and I'm excited to explore and to come to a deeper understanding of, of why precisely the, the lectionary uh, does that. Maybe uh, just kind of a practical um, issue would be simply is that we're, we're preparing for the day of Pentecost now. Basically, Easter is... Um, the preparation for Pentecost. And uh, the story of Pentecost is in the book of Acts. So we're kind of getting used to the book of Acts and, and it has to do with Pentecost. I think that's one reason. Another another idea that comes to my mind is simply this. Jesus is risen from the dead now. And it, it's now time for the church to take that resurrection life and that resurrection joy and uh, spread it. Uh, throughout the world and um, in, uh, administer the sacraments so that that resurrection joy can be imparted to the faithful. Uh, and the book of Acts it focuses on precisely those those issues, on the evangelization of the Gentiles and the building up of the church uh, through the sacraments. So I think that's probably another reason why we're focusing on the book of Acts. I'm going to do a little... Um, uh, springboard off of what I spoke about last year. You probably remember what I preached last year on this day. It's probably been burned into your heart and your mind, and you have not ceased to think about it for these 365 days past, I'm sure. So, uh, But in case you have forgotten, I'll just I'm going to mention, uh, last year I spoke about joy and how from uh, St. Peter's preaching, uh, he uh, is talking about uh, the psalm, and he's talking about how the psalm is prophetic of Christ, uh, Christ's death and resurrection. And uh, there's an interesting passage where he says, "You will not let your holy one see corruption." And then we then we actually read the psalm in our responsorial psalm. I think it's Psalm 16, if I'm not mistaken. And um, this idea that when Jesus was laid in the tomb after he died. He, his body did not suffer decay. Okay, he was there for three days, almost three days. I mean, it's you know roughly three days, and uh, normally a body would would be decaying. I mean, a, normally a, uh, as soon as you die, decay sets in. Okay, and then it progresses depending on environmental factors. You know, either slowly or quickly. But in Jesus's case, there was no corruption. And I spoke up last year about how that that corruption that's true of Christ's body is true of his mystical body as well. So that 
the the life of the divine nature that is in Christ is imparted to the mystical body in such a way as to preserve it from corruption. And I talk about moral corruption and disintegration. That's what corruption is. It's when the things are disintegrated. And so that divine power that's in the mystical body of Christ keeps it integrated, keeps us unified, but it also, individually speaking, it keeps us morally um, incorrupt, morally integrated, uh, morally sound and whole and healthy. And uh, joy affects that. Joy affects that. And so maybe just today what I'm going to do is sort of just talk about how, very simply, is this. In the, uh, in the Christian life, there is a battle between pleasure and joy. Uh, when we follow the desires of the flesh and the passions and the vices, there is a kind of a pleasure. We derive a pleasure by speaking evil about someone. We derive, I'm sorry, uh, yes, we derive a pleasure about, about speaking evil. We derive a pleasure. There's some kind of a sick pleasure that we get, of course, uh, with lust is, is, you know, pleasurable and so forth and so on. Uh, but opposed to that is the Holy Spirit and the life, the resurrection life of Christ that gives us joy. Joy is a spiritual quality. And we can have joy in the midst of suffering. Can't have pleasure in the midst of suffering, all right? Unless you're a masochist or something like that. You know, for the most part, a psychologically normal person does not experience pleasure when they're suffering. But you can experience joy in the midst of suffering. So it shows you how joy is a spiritual reality that's that transcends the body and the, the, the lower elements of the human person. And that's the the resurrection life that Christ comes to give us. And so there's this kind of tension whereby our conscience is saying, you know, do the right thing. Our, our uh, concupiscence or the, you know, the fallen passions are saying, do this, you know, tempting us. And, but it really comes down to a choice between joy and this kind of a sick pleasure. First of all, I can exhort us all, and myself included, to choose joy. But more importantly, I think the message to leave you with today is that joy wins. Joy wins. Joy is more powerful than the corrupt pleasures of sin. Alleluia. Alleluia.